Alrighty, everyone. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey, and I'm going to be your host. Oh, jeez. Alright, let's address this up front, shall we? i got to get this out of the way. Uh, last night, you're seeing ESPN Plus 40. Uh, not my best work. I have... Yeah, I shouldn't say excuses. Because that's really not the right way to phrase that, but I... There are always complicating factors. And yesterday, I kind of felt like crap. what exactly caused that, but, well, who knows. Weather change, the fact that I... It's weird to say you hate this time of year, you know, because there's so many good things. There are plenty of, you know, things I look forward to and good stuff and whatnot, but, yeah. My personal history with the span of time between November 1st and, say, March 7th, give or take, is not great. A lot of really crappy things happened over happened to me over that period of time. So, and you know, and so I, point being, I don't know how much of that was purely mental, how much of it was physical, how much of it was some combination of the two. But by the time we were getting to the last handful of fights on that card, I was, ugh, I was kind of done. I really didn't want to be doing that anymore. And I think the overall product suffered for it, so... My apologies. When you're, you know, up every week, you're gonna have time, you know, nobody bats a thousand. And this was a, I'll, I'll take the metaphorical L like a man. So, mea culpa. Uh, that does kind of uh, dovetail into this, though. I still don't feel all that great. Uh, and let's be honest, last night's card, meh. This coming week's card was really meh. And then, I don't know, an hour or so before I started recording, news broke that we lost the main event. Uh, so... Yeah, I'm not especially enthused about any of this. There wasn't anything really minor. Some minor newsworthy stuff, I guess. Yeah, there was one thing. Actually, yeah, I do kind of want to spend a minute or two talking about that, so. Uh, point being, this is going to be short. This is not going to be a prolonged episode. There's not a tremendous amount to go through. So... Without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into last night. UFC on ESPN uh, plus, what, 40? Yeah, UFC on ESPN plus 40. All right, main event. Glover Teixeira defeats Tiago Santos via rear naked choke, 150 of the third. I was not terribly interested in this fight. I've said before, this whole division's just dead to me for a bit. Now, on the plus side, that means I get to just gloriously not care. Which is a really nice place to be sometimes. You know, not not caring all the time is deranged, but you only have so much emotional energy to go around. 
And being able to just take this entire division and throw it onto the uh, dumpster fire for, you know, a couple of years or so. Not gonna lie. Spring. Uh, so, I didn't really have a whole lot invested in them, you know, in how this went. Uh, that said, Glover Teixeira's toughness is on the Noguera scale. He got hurt badly in the first, persevered, got a takedown, rode out the round. A lot of good passing, top control. Second round, I had it for him 10-8. Got a very early takedown, lots of time in mount, back mount. Just really excellent riding, finding places to land damage. Third round, he gets floored with a left hand. Santos follows down onto, into half guard, looks to finish. Glover perseveres, sweeps, gets the back, chokes him out. That's all she wrote. Uh, I, I, this has to be said. Glover Teixeira's toughness is... I don't know how many of you guys listening to this were fans when Big Nog was doing his thing in Pride. But... That's kind of what the, what uh, Teixeira's recent run reminds me of a little bit. Not in its, you know, spectacular nature, and certainly some of his opposition, eh. But if you look at you know, the last couple of fights he's had, Carl Robertson hurt him badly. Survived, took him down, choked him out. Iwan Kutalaba, bit more controlled for Teixeira, but he got clipped. Krylov, I thought he lost. Uh, I believe I scored that for Krylov. Tough fight. Anthony Smith. Uh, what was it, the second round, I think, that Teixeira just got the crap beat out of him? <laughs> it was that or the first? One, just horrible round. Persevered, kept going, got the finish late. Uh, Glover is just that... Uh, the man's just an old warhorse. He's 41. And is now on like a five-fight winning streak. I think it's five. Yeah. It's... It is impressive. Uh, that said, this fight didn't... This fight didn't have a whole lot of stakes attached to it. I appreciate Glover coming out afterward and saying, Come on, Dana, don't make me wait. I'm an old man. And the division, under normal circumstances, he should be the—he is the number one contender. Should be the next up. But the UFC's kind of said they're already looking to make Adesanya Blahovic. I understand why all parties involved would be interested in that scenario. And look, Dana's saying, "Yeah, I take Glover seriously. I'm sure he does. And I'm sure that if something happens to that fight." Uh, he will be all too happy to throw together to Sharon Blahovich. But Blahovich Blahovich wants I know he said, you know, yeah, Glover's awesome. I'd love to show him the Polish power. Uh, Blahovich would fight Glover to share, I have no doubt in my mind. Ask him who he'd prefer to fight. He'd prefer to fight Adesanya because it's a more valuable fight. I've said this uh, I said this before and I'll say it again. Glover Teixeira and Jan Blahovich, you... That is a low... Uh, if that's the main event of a pay-per-view, low buys. Very low. It could be a good, you know, co-main to a more desirable 
A side. But Adesanya Blahovic is a main event. And not only is it a main event, it's a main event that will draw a fair amount of money. So Blahovic is if he had if you just went to him, right? I'm pretty sure about this. Said everything else is, you know, you're you are the final arbiter here. We have a date that's amenable to all parties. We have a location amenable to all parties. This is entirely on you, Mr. Blahovich. You get to choose. Do you fight Israel Adesanya or Glover Teixeira? He's going to pick Adesanya. That's, that's a tougher fight in some respects. I think he has less chance to win that. But the ups, the upside is much higher. If he beats Glover Teixeira, it's nice. If he beats Adesanya, that could make his career. If he loses to Adesanya... I mean, conversely, if he loses to Glover Teixeira... Uh, that's a fairly, I shouldn't say it's a huge setback, but that ain't good. If you lose to Adesanya, there's a degree of forgiveness that the fan base will have built into losing under those circumstances. I mean, God, Paulo Costa is getting criticized at the moment not for losing to Adesanya badly, but for how he's handled it. If he had, you know, if Paulo Costa had come out and said, yeah, Izzy was the better man, you know, I came in banged up, but we all do. I'll be back and I'll be better. No one would... His star would not have been substantively damaged, despite the bad loss. And if you want some evidence of that, you've got Robert Whitaker, you know, who was badly beaten by Adesanya. Still a fairly big deal in Australia. Was never a huge deal in the United States for a variety of reasons, but you know, still a guy who's adding value to cards who is still very much in the title picture. Losses are recoverable, especially in MMA. It's about how you handle them and some of the further context. Losing to Glover, backbreaking? No. But you lose to Adesanya, and there, I just think there's a, lot of for, there's a lot of forgiveness that goes along with losing to... It's not even popular stars. There's plenty of popular guys who would beat people and they never recovered. It's eh, it's not even about special in some respects. I mean, Demetrius Johnson wrecked a lot of... I mean, DJ's a hard one to kind of quantify in that discussion because of how little the UFC cared for him in that entire division. But... People are. I, let's just put it like this. I nobody blamed people for losing to George St. Pierre. You know, nobody held that loss against them in some kind of uh, real way. It was noted, still a loss. Nobody. You know, you lost to Anderson Silva. Vitor still had a pretty decent career after losing to Anderson Silva. And so did Chael. I mean, look, some guy, when you were around, his, uh, Nate Marquardt had a long, fairly long career after the loss to Anderson. It's... Uh, there, there's just... I don't know. There's certain fighters that not only can we all recognize as special, but usually losing to them is... It's just not backbreaking unless you go out of your way to make it backbreaking. So I I do tend to think that Blahovich's career, if he loses to Adesanya, 
unless it's completely embarrassing. I mean, if he, not to draw out the Anderson Silva analogy too much, but if he forced Griffins himself going into Adesanya, okay, we might have a different discussion. But if he has a normal Blahovich kind of style fight and just loses, I mean, he's not going to be demonized for it. He's not going to be buried for it. He just lost. A, he just lost to a exceptional fighter. And the same might be true of Teixeira. There's just a lot less fanfare and a lot less money involved. Uh, as for Santos, it, it's hard to kind of gauge coming off of this fight. The man suffered a catastrophic knee injury in his left knee and a bad injury to his right in his fight with John Jones. He'd been out for, what, 18 months or so? July 6th of 19 to November 7th of 20. Yeah, let's call it 18, 19 months. Recovering from those injuries on that particular time frame in and of itself is shocking in some respects. Uh, the fact that he did it and then came back and fought a guy on a significant winning streak... This is not going to. This was not going to be the best gauge of his law uh, of the long-term damage of that. It's not a. It's not an especially encouraging sign. And realistically, if we talk about the fight, my biggest problem was not so much that he looked rusty in some kind of generic or very broad term, like his timing was a little bit off and he didn't quite look comfortable. The man is not good off of his back. He is not great at. His takedown defense held up against John. I'm not sure why, other than that, you know, John's offense John, John's offense has diminished a fair bit. That's fairly well documented at this point. But Glover had no real problems taking him down. And once you get Tiago Santos on his back, he's not much of a threat. Now. He's been working on that, apparently, and I think if I were to compare his performance here to other fights where he'd been taken down, there might be cause for optimism about the trajectory of his ground game. But it was not good here, especially against a guy like Glover. Glover's ground game is more or less his bread and butter in the UFC at this point. He's, you know, still got some power in his hands, but he's, he's trying to take you down, and he's trying to get on top and trying to wreck you from there. So I, again, I don't know what this means for Santos. It, you know, losing is never good. It is never good. But he might still be able to rebound, and you know, again, light heavyweight is uh, utterly devoid of interest. So a turnaround for him is far from impossible. Uh, again, what's next for Glover? He's probably going to have to play on deck to Adesanya Blahovic. The real, it's really the like the worst case scenario if you're Glover. Isn't just Ades is probably Adesanya winning because let's I mentioned this last week. I'm going to say it again because I think it's true. If Adesanya wins, the UFC is going to put together Jones Adesanya for the 205 pound title. That's the direction they're going to want to go. Now there's personalities involved. There's all kinds of things. The world is crazy, but 
that's the direction they will try to go. There's, I don't see any reason in not acknowledging that reality. Doesn't mean that's where we end up, but do you really think that internally at the UFC they're not going to try and go that way again? Say Adesanya knocks out Blahovich in, I don't know, three rounds. Just hypothetically. You know they're going to try to do Jones Adesanya because it would be one of the biggest fights they could put on from a financial standpoint. Whether they can make it happen, that is another story, but they're going to try, and we need to acknowledge that they're going to try that, and it that would be the worst case for Glover because he would have to fight again. There's There's no way he'd sit out that long. He'd wind up fighting somebody else, and eh, again, nice thing about not caring I don't care. Uh, it's it's not a dismissive. I wish things were different. It's they're gonna. This is gonna play out how it's gonna play out. Under normal circumstances, Glover would be next. Circumstances aren't normal. They rarely are, in point of fact. Somewhat raising a linguistic question about the value of normal as it pertains to a chaotic entity like the UFC. But let's not delve too deeply down that rabbit hole, shall we? All right, let us move on. Andre Arlovsky, uh, the rest, uh, this is going to be fairly quick, like I said before. Andre Arlovsky defeated Tanner Bozier via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. This fight sucked. I'm not sure what particular subset of Andre Arlovsky's skill he's tapped into, but Arlovsky has developed an ability to grind the pace of a fight to a screeching halt. Arlovsky lands, I think, about 12 strikes around and wins decisions because his opponent lands fewer. It is the worst. Uh, j just the worst. Made even more so by the fact that it was preceded by Hani Barcelos defeating Khalid Taha via unanimous decision. This was 30-27 on all three cards. This fight rocked. <laughs> Only three rounds, but bantamweight is a tremendous division. This was your fight of the night, for good reason. Barcelos is extremely underappreciated. Now, the fact that he spent about a year on the shelf here probably contributes. He's, But he's undefeated in the UFC. This was his fifth row in a row for them. Uh, his last loss was in 2014. The reason I think some of his uh, momentum stalled was, his, prior to this, he last fought in December of 19, in fact, the literal last card of the year for 2019, when he beat Saeed Nurmagomedov. Uh, yeah, he just kind of got pushed back due to the pan uh, just due to the pandemic, and then I imagine travel restriction restrictions related to the to said pandemic, but. Get that man some ranked opposition, please. He is really good. He is really, really good. And uh, this was a great fight. You know, uh, Taha acquitted himself well. The problem he ran into was a lack of diversity in offense. Taha's got power, uh, especially in his hands. He's a good boxer. But he never diversified. Whereas for Barcelos, you've got front kicks, you've got calf kicks, you've got punches, elbows, knees, takedowns. The entire arsenal uh, of weaponry in MMA is 
at the somewhat at Barcelos' fingertips. He knows how to manage all those different spaces. Taha kind of one-dimensional, but made it a heck of a fight, so good on him. Now, let's see. Giga Chikadze defeated Jamie Simmons via knock, uh, TKO head kick and punches. Uh, Chikadze was like a minus 700 favorite for this fight. Landed a good body kick, then a head kick to follow it up. Uh, look, if Chikadze's not going to start fighting people that matter soon, this whole endeavor is going to be a giant waste of everyone's time. But for what it's worth, he looked good here. Good on him. Uh, kicking off the main card, we had Yan Xiaonan defeating Claudia Gadelia via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. Uh, this is, I think, six in a row in the UFC for Yan. Her last loss was, I want to say, in 2010. Yeah, so a full decade without a loss. Over, actually. That was September of 10. She's now, I think, uh, let me see. Yeah, 6-0 and in the UFC. You know the only other women that have gone 6-0 and to start their UFC careers? Uh, Ronda Rousey and Joanna Yanjacek. Even Amanda Nunes and Valentina didn't go 0-6. I, I, I mean, Rose, former champion, didn't go and lost her first UFC fight. Uh... I don't know where this places her in the specific title picture at Strawweight. There's a few moving pieces. The U the UFC is still trying to... I think they've still indicated that they're looking to make uh, Zhang's ti next title defense be against Rose Namajunas. Which I wouldn't... I don't object to that fight. But it does mean that Jan's gonna... I think Jan is you know, one back in the, in the order. Assuming there's no injury or other craziness associated with Namajunas. But you do have to believe that if the UFC could swing another event in China in the near future, you could even headline it in China with Zhang and Yan. That could conceivably headline an event in China to, you know, Chinese, not just, you know, I don't want to get in trouble here, not just like ethnically Chinese, but born, raised, and trained in China. I mean, they, I think they've all. I think both of them have done some training outside of there, but they both still live in China, and primarily they still train there. So you could you could make a thing of that. You could really make a thing of that. These you, two Chinese women fighting over the title to headline an event in China. You know, now again, Zhang has to get by Nami Yunus, which is not an easy task by any stretch of the imagination. But that that does seem like something that uh, the UFC will try to make happen if at all feasible. Um, for Gedalia, Gedalia's cardio issues rear their head again. She won the first, but just couldn't keep it up. Uh, that's some that's some up and down losses. She's how old is Claudia? She's in her thirties, and she's thirty-one. Not old by, not old, but she's been really kind of. Her losses have come at key intervals that have really derailed her. I mean, she lost a title shot when she lost to Joanna Yanjacek. She lost fighting. For, she lost her 
She lost out in her title shot against Ioana. She lost to Jessica Andrade after bouncing back. She lost to Ansarov. I don't know if a move up to... I don't know if a move up to Flyweight would help her. Uh, solving cardio issues is not as simple as just, hey, let's cut less weight. That might be. It, it might be a consideration, but... You know, 31... The ups and downs she's had, she's not getting younger, and that weight cut is not getting easier. She's got to have a real kind of serious uh, bit of contemplation about what she's doing next. And let's see, that was our main card. Oh, yeah, a little bit before this whole fight went live, we lost Ian Heinish versus Brendan Allen. This is a fight I was kind of looking forward to. So on the prelims, Trevin Giles defeated Bevan Lewis via TKO, punches 126 of the third. Uh, eh. Wasn't great, but Giles kind of kept being able to find little spots for his punches and just kind of wore Lewis down with them. Alexander Romanov defeated Marcos Rogerio de Lima via technical submission, forearm choke, 448 of the first. I laughed so hard at this. I thought uh, I thought Alexi Olenek might have had the market cornered in the UFC for gimmicky chokes, but uh, nope. Here's old Romanov with the forearm. That's just okay. Ah, oh, god. How do I say this without sounding like I'm just? The choke clearly worked. Let me let me start there. He legitimately put DeLima to sleep with it. But you should never catch someone who's any good with that choke. It kind of ditto the Ezekiel, especially without a Gi. You shouldn't catch an Ezekiel. You should probably never really be able to catch a Von Flu. It's just there's a real easy way to avoid that. Um, some other kind of gimmicky submission. Um, I'd say, you know, toe holds. Like, toe holds can be, toe holds can be legitimately nasty. But they're so hard to pull off. Um, unless you have some kind of friction around the feet. Um, you know, ca I mean, you know, calf slicers. Not so much calf slicers, like bicep slicers. You know, uh, those are the kind of things that, like, you know, if you get to a certain point, you should respect them because they cause damage. But... You should never catch someone who's any good in that. So, you know what? Make Romanov and Olenek next. Let's battle out the gimmicky grapplers. Um, that's all I got here. There. Um, Darren Elkins defeated Luis... Uh, I think this goes by Eduardo. Is it Eduardo Gregory? Uh, via submission in the third round, rear naked choke. Um, Elkins halted a four-fight losing streak here, and I'm not going to lie... If the only way you can get a win is to find... Did Garagori come through? Uh, did he come through, like, tough Latin America? No, he was brought on just to be the, like, token Uruguayan on a Uruguay card. Is he Uruguayan? Yeah, he is. Sorry, the flag threw me for a second there. Yeah, they brought him in to be the local flavor when uh, Shevchenko and Karmouche fought for, uh, in Uruguay. If that's the only guy you can beat, 
And it's not like he didn't face adversity. His face was all banged up. He got punched. Look, man. I will give some res- give some credit to Darren Elkins. He debuted in the UFC in 2010, and he beat Dwayne Ludwig when Ludwig injured his ankle. Kind of a freak injury. Then he followed that up by losing to Charles Oliveira. Went on a winning streak. Lost to Chad Mendez, and then kind of traded some wins and losses. Got another winning streak, and then lost badly to Volkanovski. Lost to Lamas. Lost to Hall. Lost to Nate Landwer. If he's only able to beat guys like Garagori at this point, he shouldn't be in the UFC. It's so I don't know. I mean, the the win saved his saved his UFC tenure, I imagine. But I find it extremely unlikely that he is long that he's going to be in the UFC much longer. Uh, he's just. Years and miles, man. And that guy has a surprisingly... Again, 10 years in the UFC is not easy to do. You factor in the amount of abuse he's taken just in the cage, say nothing of, you know, the grind of training. Um, I don't think he's here much longer. Uh, Max Griffin defeated Ramiz Brahima via Dr. Stoppage 203 of the third. Um, Griffin hit Brahima with a bit of a right hand to the ear and then an elbow in the clinch and Brahima's left ear just kind of exploded. As, like, call of, it, this was bad. Um, not the worst ear injury over the last, I think, like three weeks. If you follow uh, Grabaka Hitman you know, Kaposa on Twitter, and you should. There was an event, there was a really, really bad one a couple of weeks ago where, like, the, uh, the ear was torn from the bottom up, like right off at the at the base, and very nearly came all the way off. That was a really bad one. This was not that bad, but this was bad. Um, this was worse than Leslie Smith's, which is kind of the other um, ear injury people uh, UFC fans might have a might have a touchstone for. This was a this was a pretty gnarly bit of uh, ear trauma. So good on Griffin, who was winning that fight anyway. And I missed this fight. Um, uh, I'll tell this story very briefly. Uh, I got a message a little bit before the... A couple of hours. Before the fights were to start. Um, The the guy who covers full gear, a lot of the professional wrestling stuff for us at 411, uh, Tony Acero, uh, wound up running late. Just, you know, real-life intervenes. So they, uh, I got a message. They needed someone to cover the pre-show buy-in portion of the AEW pay-per-view. So I got to talk about video hype packages, two of which were pretty good. And then cover the, uh, what was it? Uh, Serena Deeb and Allison Kay had a match uh, ahead of the AEW event for any professional wrestling fans out there. So that and that just kind of overran this fight. So I, there's a clip of the finish up. It only went it went less than three minutes. So that finish came 2:43 of the third. And by all accounts, Lopez just kind of beat the brakes off of Burchak. Burchak, um, Burchak came into this fight late. Uh, this was supposed to be Lopez and Felipe Colares, but. 
Pilardis pulled out after a COVID-19 test. Sucks, but Lopez just kind of put the beating on Burchak. Good for Lopez. B again, bantamweight, good division. So, mea culpa on the first fight. Um, my talents were called away such as they are. I mean, last time I checked, the AEW live coverage had a lot of traffic, and uh, the MMA one had, like, nothing. So, uh, yeah, the allocation of resources. Anyway, thanks to anyone who did happen to read before or after the fact on that one. Uh, I wasn't, again, I wasn't terribly enthused by that, but... Uh, if I were to give you kind of cliff notes, again, you've got my cliff notes here, but if you haven't seen anything, Teixeira uh, Santos is probably worth a watch. Uh, just to see Teixeira's toughness on display. <laughs> uh, Barcelos and Taha is... I don't know that it'll finish very high in, like, fight of the year discussions, but one of the better... Th Let me put it this way. Probably the best three-round fight uh, from the UFC that I can remember off the top of my head. Really good fight. Uh, yeah, that was it. So, thank you very much. I always appreciate whatever support you all are able to lend me in whatever capacity you're capable of doing so. Alright, let's move on. UFC on ESPN plus 41. Uh, this is going to be fast. So, main event was supposed to be former lightweight champion Rafael Dos Anjos coming back down to lightweight after his excursion at welterweight. He was going to be fighting Islam Makachev. How did Dos Anjos do at welterweight after it was all said and done? I just got to look this up real fast. Um, he split. He went 4-4 four and four at welterweight. Jeez. And three of those four losses were to Covington, Usman, and Edwards? I mean, Covington, former interim champion, title challenger, Usman, champion, Edwards, probably one of the, certainly one of the five best welterweights in the world, I think. And then the last one was to Michael Chiesa, which was just a bad style matchup. So, all in all, you know, not unsuccessful, but he's coming back to lightweight. Was going to fight Makachev. Makachev pulled out with an injury, again, just a few hours before I started recording. Um, we do not have a replacement announced yet. Um, I know RDA kind of said, you know, I hear Michael Chandler's ready to go. I don't know if that'll play out. Uh, it might. I don't know if Chandler would... I don't know what... I don't know if Chandler should take that, but as I think about it, a win would be very validating. It would get him into the mix and be over a former champion. If he wins impressively, and if he stops him, geez, I think the only uh, RDA doesn't get stopped all that often. So it might be worth considering if you're Chandler trying to do the risk management thing about who your first UFC opponent's going to be. I mean, RDA on his game against Chandler would be a great fight. This version of RDA against, you know, this version of Chandler, probably still a good fight, but, I don't know, again, will it happen? Who knows. But we don't have a main event. Uh, let's see. Co-main event, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan will fight Chaos Williams. Is this supposed to be somebody else? Okay, they're feeding Al-Hassan an easy win. Williams has fought, I think, once before for the UFC. 
Now the first name is familiar. Because Williams, yeah, he's 10-1. I'm pretty sure he's... Yeah, he beat Alex Morono. Knocked him stupid in 27 seconds. I vaguely remember that. Morono was a hefty favorite. All right, so not a full-on gimme, but... Al-Hassan should win. There feels like the kind of fight they're setting up Al-Hassan to have an enjoyable performance and score a good win in. Uh, middleweight Julian Marquez will fight Saperbeck Safarov. Ugh. That's what I got to say about that. I mean, Safarov has gone one in three in the UFC. Uh, tried to cheat his pants off against Adolfo Vieira before getting submitted. Marquez, he's been off for a while. Jeez, when was the last time he fought? Marquez hasn't fought since July of 18? It's what, two and a half year layoff? I mean, he his his only UFC win was a, is over Darren Stewart. I mean, he front choked him to finish him, but... Two and a half years off, man. That is a long layoff. I'm still probably going to pick him because I don't think Safarov's all that good, but it's a long layoff. Also at middleweight, uh, we have Eric Anders and Antonio Arroyo. Is this supposed to be some... No, no, this was always supposed to be this fight. Okay. Now, let's see. Anders lost to Christoph Yatko his last time out. Not a great fight. Uh, I kind of thought Mershart beat him, I seem to recall. Uh, let's see. And Arroyo, 9-3. and three. He's fought, I think he's fought in the UFC. I'm confusing him with another Arroyo. Yeah, yeah, he lost to Andre Muniz. Uh, let's see, about a year ago. They're trying real hard to rehabilitate Eric Anders. Uh, hopefully he'll make it easy for them by actually putting his punches together. Instead of just kind of lumbering forward at a weird angle and, and winging his left. Alright, what else do we have here? We have Kay Hansen and Corey McKenna. Women's strongweight. Hansen beat Jinyu Fry. Not that long ago, actually. Back in June. I think this is McKenna's UFC debut. She is not oh, Welsh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Who yeah. knows? Go with Hanson. Uh, Ashley Yoder will fight Miranda Granger. Yoder's pretty good, but I think Granger had a no. Granger lost to Amanda Lemos in her UFC debut. Beat Hannah Goldie before that. So okay, she split her UFC fights. Whereas Yoder is just, jeez, seven and six. I'll go with Granger, but eh, speculative. Let's see, uh, Alex Morono. Hey, uh, we already mentioned him. We'll be fighting Reese McKee on this fight. Morono was last seen being finished by Williams. That was back in February. Uh, McKee, a fight or two in the UFC, I seem to recall. 
Just the one. Oh yeah, he was one of the guys. Com uh, Kamzat Shemayev kind of massacred. I'll go with Morono, but I kind of expect Makita to at least show, give a better of accounting, accounting of himself this time. Bantamweight fight between Jose Alberto Quinones. Uh, good old Teco. He will be. He. Yeah, yeah, I remember. He had that loss, that rough loss to Sean O'Malley. Um, kind of thought he would give O'Malley. Pose some more problems to O'Malley than he did. Anyway, he'll be fighting Luis Smolka. Smolka coming off of uh, that loss to Casey Kennedy. Feel okay picking Quinones here. I uh, Smolka is just so hard to get a handle on, man. I just mean that from like an analytical standpoint. He's been so up and down for both technical and personal reasons. When he's on his game, he's very good. But, man, is he just a little bit uneven, you know? So, go with Quinones, but that could be a that could be a pretty good fight on the undercard. Smolk is rarely in boring fights. See, women's strawweight Random Marcos tries will be fight will be welcoming to the UFC, I believe, Kanako Murata. Because Marcos is finally on a losing streak, first time in her career she. Uh, got tapped out by Mackenzie Dern September, yeah, September. And Murata let's see ah, I don't have a uh, I, need a, I don't have a list. So I, I, I don't know I don't know if Murata is her first name or her family name. I don't know how it's listed. It's listed correctly here or not. Um, I'm going to just assume that Kanako is her family name. Uh, sorry, I'm going to assume Arata is her family name. Uh, anyway, this is. We'll just go with Murata for the time being. And if I'm wrong, my apologies. Give me a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here. I'm trying. <laughs> Uh, Murata's on a pretty good winning streak. Um, I think... Uh, jeez. What is that? Uh, seven fights in a row? Yeah, seven in a row. Um, wins in... Jeez. Went on a tear through her second trip through Ryzen. Submitted a lot of people. Uh, 2-0 and in Invicta, including, oh, she won the vacant, stra uh, Invicta strawweight title a uh, little over a year ago, November of, of last year. I heard some good things about her fight with, uh, Emily Ducote, though. Was that the bloodbath? That might have been one of those bloodbaths from last year that I <laughs> saw people talking about. Might have to look that up. Um, I'm feel okay picking Murata there. Um, look, Marcos is not an easy out, but I kind of feel like anyone like she's a little bit on the downside. See, at bantamweight, Geraldo De Freitas will fight Tony Gravely. I think I know De Freitas has fought in the UFC before. 
Yeah, he's one and one. Beat Felipe Colares and then lost to Chris Gutierrez. Where's Gravely? Excuse me there. Lost to Brett Johns. Okay, he has fought once. Yeah, it's a tough one. I don't n neither guy too much of a proven quantity at this point. I'll go with uh, Gravely. And then at heavyweight, why? Uh, Dante Mays and Roki Martinez. Mays has gone 0-2 in the UFC. Uh, he was... Oh, yeah, he got heel-hooked by Cyril Gaon. <laughs> it was funny. Uh, then he got choked out by Rodrigo Nascimento and Martinez. Guam? Yeah, Guam. Sorry. Just looking at the flag. Uh, yeah, Martinez kind of got ragdolled by Alexander Romanov uh, just a couple of months ago. Well, if Mays doesn't win this one, he'll probably be done. I mean, 0-3 in the UFC to start, not good, even at heavyweight. You know, it deserves to be said about the Contender Series. The Contender Series does not really prioritize UFC-caliber fighters so much as fighters that appeal to Dana White's personal sensibilities. Now, some guys come through there, and they make it. You know, they're... I have no doubt in my mind at some point in the fairly, you know, call it the next two to three years, someone who came into the UFC through the Contender Series will become a champion. But it is, it is not the best vetting system for your overall skill set. So, anyway, we'll see with that. Um, again, it's, eh, it's low-level heavyweights. I mean, what do you want me to say? Uh, yeah, so whatever main event we wind up with, uh, this coming Saturday, I will be in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania talking you all through it, so please do stop by, say hello, I always appreciate that. Alright, um, not a lot of news here, but the one thing I kind of wanted to touch on, uh, the biggest star in boxing, Saul Canelo Alvarez, has exited not only his deal with DAZN, which had been, which he was suing to get out of, uh, he's apparently a full-on free agent and has left Golden Boy. Uh, this is a big deal for the world of boxing. Canelo being exclusive to DAZN had... Uh, uh, God, how do I say this? It removed the potential for a lot of fights. Um, it was one of the most lucrative potential contracts that you know existed in sports. I think he was making what, like 10 million, 30? Ah, I can't remember now. I forget where my math was on that. Um, he was making a, even by like high-end boxing standards, he was making a lot of money. Um, but <laughs> there was a lot of trouble trying to get him meaningful fights in terms of both that would draw box office and, you know, and would generate fan, uh, fan from box office. In terms of fights that would both matter to his legacy and legitimacy, and fights that would draw fan interest. So where he lands from here is a... That's a pretty big thing to pay attention to in the world of boxing. We could get some... If he's able to kind of bounce around between uh, you know, 
some of the different avenues, you know, because you have Showtime, you have PBC, you have uh, Eddie Hearn. If he's able to kind of bounce around between some of those different entities, uh, he could not only make a lot of money, but turn in some really, really impressive and important fights. So, uh, what the next, again, the biggest star in boxing, I don't think that's an exaggeration. What he does next, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of potential avenues open to him going forward. So I know we're not the, and I know this is an MMA podcast, but I don't mind talking a little boxing on occasion, and this is a significant development in the world of that sport. All right. Um, that's kind of it. Again, there wasn't a lot of MMA news, just the two. These are very, very by, paint-by-numbers UFC cards. It's just the machinery turning over. So let's have a quick look through Twitter. Uh, see if anything crazy has happened while I've been recording this. Well, nothing crazy in the loose realm of things that we're going to talk that we would be talking about here. I mean, the world is a crazy place at the moment. I don't know what else to tell you guys. All right, um, plugs are going to be pretty short this time around too. Uh, again, Saturday. UFC on ESPN plus 41. Whatever that card looks like by the time we get there. Friday, WWE SmackDown in the wrestling zone of 411 Mania. Come by, feel free to, you know, express how bad I am at my job. That's uh, fairly common these days. You know, it. How do I say this? There was an observation made about the late Larry Zonka that he would, uh, fixate might not be the right word, but he would always kind of point out and take to heart whenever he would talk uh, on his old podcast. He would never kind of say it deliberately, like call out an individual, but he would kind of always point out some of the negativity around his work. And I don't watch as much pro wrestling as Larry did. I don't think any singular human being has or will in the future. But it, uh, I got it at the time. Like when it kind of got brought up, I went, yeah, you know, because I, was, I wasn't doing the pro wrestling thing very often. It was just kind of the MMA thing. And I, yeah, look, I don't, I don't mind people giving constructive criticism of my, of my work. I don't mind you guys voicing your opinions. That's the entire purpose of the comment section. But uh, it wasn't, I don't think it was really until I kind of got into doing the SmackDown thing a little more regularly that I it makes a bit more sense to me now at least. Um, And it's not that there's overwhelming negativity. That's really not the case. It's just uh, how do I it's hard to really kind of say it, to kind of figure this out. It stands out more, maybe? Uh, that might be the right way to say it. I think that's kind of the right... I think that is kind of the right way to say it. It's... It does stand out a lot more. And... I think it's also because professional wrestling is... How do I say this without pissing people off? You know, screw it. If I piss people off, I piss people off. It's uh, it's an art. 
You know, it's a performative, it's performance art. And I know there's a lot of people who get kind of up in arms about that, especially in the pro wrestling community, because performance art is such a v- ridiculously broad category. And that's kind of why professional wrestling fits there. It's not an athletic competition. It's a performance, a very athletic, very difficult, very grueling occupational performance. Uh, but that's what it is. Consequently, the entirety of it becomes a lot more subjective. I can talk about a, you know, I can talk about a fight, and there's a degree of latitude in that. You, I might think a fight sucks. That you guys say I enjoyed that, and we can and. It's very easy for, I think, all of us to go, okay, I didn't like it because it lacked technique, it really slowed down at this point. You loved it because, well, there was heart and determination, and it was just a sloppy slugfest, and we can kind of shake hands and agree that, you know, Godspeed and party on, man. Or, I mean, the other one, you know, this fight had too much grappling, and I hate that, I can't follow it, I don't know what's going on, this one had a lot of stand-up, and... There's a lot of varied opinions there. And I just kind of think that the MMA fandom that I've interacted with, at least as far as this goes, is a lot more understanding of different perspectives as far as this goes. Uh, And in professional wrestling, it's a lot, maybe it's a lot more opinionated. And because it's not only your personal subjective opinion, it's your subjective opinion of a deliberately and inherently subjective art form. And that just kind of winds up with a lot more uh, conflict when you talk about it. I don't know. Maybe Look, maybe I am completely off base on that. That's just kind of my take at the moment. Uh, so, yeah, anyway, Friday's that. Um, I review MLW's underground re-airings. There's actually a decent match this time around. Uh... The episode not so great, but Homicide versus Jerry Lynn. Uh, this would have been again. This is a re-airing of their old show from like the early 2000s. This is all like uh, 03 to 05, I think. So early-ish Homicide as he's rising to prominence against Jerry Lynn when Jerry was you know still had a little bit of something in the tank. Uh, that turned out to be pretty good. Rest of the episode, uh, yeah, no. No, no, no. <laughs> Not good. So, there was that. Uh, so, you can find that coming still in the future. Um, I think that's it. Uh, yet, not a lot of movies to review. Not a lot of any of that other stuff. So, some of that might kind of be coming a little bit more haphazardly in the future as we kind of just find some time and stuff that we want to talk about. Uh, but, you can find a lot of my other podcasts over on the Rattletch and Broadcasting Network subheading of the W2M Podcast Network. Feel free to head over there and do that. And as always, I'll be back here next week, which will be true until it isn't. Next week, we will review that uh, uh, this coming card, and we'll preview UFC 255, which right now is currently scheduled to have a double flyweight title fight headliner. Main event, Davison Figueredo and Alex Perez. Co-main event, Valentina Shevchenko and Jennifer Maya. Figueredo and Shevchenko, the respective champions, of course. So we'll have a full preview of that event for next week. Until then, thank you all again. Appreciate you guys. 
Stay safe out there, and please continue to be well, be safe, and